0: Rachel, hello, how are you?
1: Hello, Ryan.
0: How are you?
1: I am okay.
0: I'm doing very well myself. We are back at it again with Yum Why Yum 5. Why did
1: you do that voice, Brian?
0: I've watched Babylon 5, so now I start every sentence like Londo Malari. Okay. Ah! Ah, Mr. Catabaldi!
1: I just want to know that you're committed.
0: Take a drink, people. If you are watching Babylon 5, take a drink every time Londo enters a scene or situation by going, ah! First. You'll notice it, and once you do, you can never not notice it. So we are here, Rachel, for our Yum Yum Five discussion, uh, where we revisit and rewatch Babylon Five. Of course, why is Yum Yum a part of this? Is this a is this a reference to Babylon Five? It's
1: a legacy moment. It was a pivotal point in the pop culture zeitgeist given to us by Star Trek Discovery through the vehicle through the vessel
0: of Commander Nandi wow, yeah, she replied to a comment by saying yum yum, and that reply made us become who we are today. We before that, we were just mere mortals, but now we are the chosen. Now we are the one. And we thought, well, we've got to have our podcast, and we've got to name it after this iconic line of dialogue, yum yum. And it was obvious, because we were covering Star Trek Discovery in the past, but now we're covering Babylon 5, and we're going to keep it on, because, Mm. right, I'm gonna ask you a question. Uh we watched this first episode of season one. Who in this was most likely to say yum yum to you? If if someone got to slip in the line in this episode, which character would it be? Because I have mine.
1: I'm not sure. Say yours.
0: Garibaldi. 100% Garibaldi. And it would have been when he was eating his food. Like, he would have used mm. it appropriately. He would have mm-hmm. said to her, Vonnever, "Oh, Vonnevar, this is yum yum, and then and then give her a wink, because yeah. that's what Garibaldi's all yeah. about. So Very
1: much in this episode.
0: So maybe in the discussion...
1: favourite things in the universe. Yeah,
0: maybe yum yum's is number one. We'll find out during the discussion, and maybe you'll discover... <laughs> discover like discovery uh who your character is that was most likely to say yum yum uh but let's jump straight to it people if you have not watched babylon 5 we're talking about this no, no, from the perspective Ryan, I
1: already have it oh okay who? Delenn when she's eating the popcorn with well Garibor. she seems
0: a bit confused by the popcorn i
1: feel like she will say like she would say like
0: Yum-yum? Yeah, yeah, confused. <laughs> like, is that
1: the correct usage? She would, she
0: would say yum-yum in a confused manner like I felt when the yum-yum moment happened in Discovery where I felt very fucking confused.
1: But to move forward, we are re-watching Babylon 5 and we are thus talking as such, which means spoilers
0: abound. Yep, indeedy do, Rachel... What is first off the rank? What is the one we're covering? Last week, we covered the TV pilot movie, The Gathering. This week, we're doing season one, episode one. But what is it? What's it all about?
1: This episode is entitled Midnight on the Firing Line. Mm -hmm. And as we have pointed out, uh, we are not reading from IMDb.
0: IMDb's too weak.
1: Because we have a superior source material. Yes.
0: Yes. The
1: booklets that come with the DVDs.
0: I wonder if JMS wrote these descriptions himself. I mean, he has his hands in pretty much everything when it comes to B5. Maybe he sat down and penned these gems.
1: And he worked for a TV week like magazine.
0: So maybe it was him. So let's let's assume that JMS wrote this, the Ride of Babylon 5. Mm -hmm. Uh... Hit us off midnight on the firing
1: line. Will the space station that is the universe's last best hope give way to no hope? Station leaders face the saber rattling of potential war when a mysterious attack on an agrarian planet Ragash 3 brings festering hatred between Centauri and Narn races. To a boil. You won't get away
0: with this. We'll strike back, and we'll strike back hard.
1: I assume you're referring to the attack on Ragesh 3 by our forces. Just found out about it myself. I'm sure there's a reasonable explanation. What reasonable explanation is there for the slaughter of unarmed civilians? Curious, we wondered the same thing when you invaded our world. The wheel turns,
0: does it not, Ambassador? (laughs) Let's get into it, Rachel. Let's get into our histories with this. So obviously we've discussed this minorly on the show, but I have grown up with Babylon 5. I had these on DVD, but I introduced you to Babylon 5. You were unaware of it in in your world before I came along. So what was it like for you? Do you remember what it was like for you to to watch this? Because I'm not going to lie... I put a lot of pressure on you. I was like, "Oh, this that's is-
1: what I was about to say." There were like, there were high stakes. Like, I was like, bigger
0: if- than intergalactic wars. Just saying.
1: I, I, you genuinely put so much pressure on this. I was like, I, I do think this would be a deal breaker if I didn't like it. I think if I say, "Nah, not really my thing," or mm. "Nah, that's a piece of shit." Mm. Oh, that was fine. But were you excited to check you, it out You w- you would have dumped me.
0: Oh, uh, well, if you, you... weren't, if, uh, here's how I would have dumped you. If you were both not a fan of Star Trek and a fan of this, then we wouldn't be married. That's a that's a fact. That's a fact.
1: And at this there, point in our relationship, like they...
0: I had tested it out because you were into Star Trek and I thought, well, well, we've tested because, the sci-fi waters here. Because you
1: made me actually watch it.
0: Yeah. And um, but I didn't throw B five at you straight away. I went okay.
1: No, this was so important to me mm. um, that I I I got it right. That I did. I didn't want to watch it with you in the room.
0: <laughs> you didn't, did you?
1: Um. No. You lent me the DVDs when you went back home, and you were like, "This is your homework. I watch it, um, and then." If, if you're enjoying it, we'll pick it back up and we'll start watching it together. Unlike I'm
0: Jakar. I gave you the book, the homework, I <laughs> said, read it, absorb it, go. The book of Jaquan.
1: Read it. We'll talk afterward. Uh, I, I don't read Narn.
0: Learn. Do you remember anything that particularly stood out to you? Was it like a character, uh, a tone, a, a, a beat in the story, or I... like a sci fi thing about it? Because everyone has their mm-hmm. thing of when they watch B5, there's like something that, that, that definitely leaps out at you. This isn't, yeah. you know, for at least us, um, it isn't a snooze fest to, to begin with.
1: I remember interrogating you. I'm like, Talia wants to fuck Ivana, right? Like, Talia wants, like, wants to fuck whatever. And you were like, um. baby, And then you gave me your classic line when it ca- came to watching me watching it for the first time. Anybody watching Babylon 5 for the first time in particular will get this line from Ryan if you ask him a dead, <laughs> like, straight-on question... Like, does this happen? Does this not happen?
0: What is this?
1: Oh, I think this is going to happen, and you're right.
0: Oh, I don't know. You'll have to watch. Oh, maybe. I don't know. There are... Maybe. Uh, Maybe. Like, you fucking know.
1: You fucking know the show backwards and forwards. (laughs) And... like, you do it in such an entitled way. It's so infuriating because here's when you're why. on the end of it. But when we watched Babylon 5 with one of our housemates and you did it to him, so it annoyed. was hilarious because it wasn't me. And I was and like, the, I've been through this. And I think I it's was just like.
0: <laughs> and here's why, because to me, Babylon 5 is that show that delivers. Uh, yeah, you should you avoid
1: being spoiled.
0: Nine times out of ten. Even the little questions that you have, like, why is Sinclair throwing himself in danger? That's not his job. will get answered and we'll get yeah. followed upon. So it's always, like, fun it to... It all matters. And there's no fun in saying, yes, that will happen. Because a part of the fun, and you even see the it journey. within this episode, is the surprise that they actually yeah. address some stuff. Because sometimes, like sometimes with Star Trek they just gloss over stuff uh, that you think about in this manner. Babylon 5 will more often than not tackle these things in some way, shape, or form. So
1: other than Talia's I, I want to fuck, <laughs> um, <laughs> the language that I saw in her look at Ivanova, mm-hmm. um, I remember being really intrigued by the idea of the cycle.
0: Yeah, they're always an interesting and sad thing. And
1: then when we get to Ivanova's speeches at the end, I was like. So. I thought that they were going to be fucked up. (laughs) And that's pretty fucked
0: up. So you were drawn into the Ivanova Talia side of things to begin with.
1: Yeah, like.
0: Interesting, interesting.
1: Very much a a default of mine Mm. to. Identify more with the female characters. Yeah, when I'm starting to get into a show,
0: I grew up with this. I've watched this episode. I I don't know how many times because, as mentioned in the previous episode of ours, you I grew up with the first out season the in DVD. I grew up with the first season in particular uh, a, lo- a lot because I had it on its own for like three years or so because of the distribution of the DVDs in my area was so slowly paced out between the first and the other seasons. So I've seen the first season probably more than any of the other seasons because of that. And the first episode has always been one of my absolute favorites because it is fast-paced. There's, there's so many things at stake. There's so many things going on, but it's filled to the brim with nice little character moments and little asides that feel like it's more than just a uh, madcap, rushed yes. political, like, oh my God, nightmare. Because... Some people may get overwhelmed by this first episode if they've not watched the TV movie. You just start this one and it feels like there's a lot being thrown at you. But thankfully, and I've always felt this since I've been a kid until and 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 rewatching it now, It gives you those little breathers of respite, of having the characters sit and have their little moments, have their little things going on, little moments of levity or little little insights into them, or or fun asides, and that is something that's always drawn me to this, and why I think it's a great first episode because it has plot up the wazoo, it's got political stuff, it's got all these character motivations going on, but it's also remembering that what makes this important, what makes a show important is the characters as well as the world and the lore and the themes and this episode has always done a good job for me of managing to fit in within the 45 minute time frame giving all of the characters involved primarily most of them involved give us an understanding of who they are what they want and and what kind of character they are going to be like for instance garibaldi think about what he is in the pilot film and think about what he is here in a way he serves the same purpose, which is he's the guy that either gets exposition put upon him or he gives exposition to others. But in this episode, he has so many little moments, such as the Duck Dodgers, which we'll talk about of course, that gives me an understanding of who this guy is, that he's a bit of a joker, that he's a bit of a he's a bit of a playboy, a wannabe playboy, and he's he's a bit of a you know, he's a bit of a funny dude, but when it comes to the end of the day, he's a cop and that's nailed it and that's all the characters they have all these things that yes they're serving narrative functions and this 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 but i still understand them and growing up with this episode and coming back to it it still holds up on the rewatch factor because the characters are still true and you can see from this first episode when you rewatch it that's how they started and i can see how they became this character, and I know how they grow into the characters later in the show. It doesn't feel like a completely different uh, portrayal of these characters from the script or from the acting when I revisit it. Like, when I revisit Londo in this episode, he's still, I can still see how this Londo is the one we get in season five. Twenty years from now, we will die with our hands around each other's throats.
1: Twenty years is a long time. Long enough for your people to come to an understanding. Believe as you wish 20 years from now One of us will be wiser and older Or one of us will be dead
0: Who's to say What do you think of The introduction The the opening credits of this Because this is the Perfection. first season right? Perfection
1: Like It perfectly Establishes the tone mm. Of this show It does exactly what a good opener does.
0: And you got Michael O'Hare, who, say what you will about him as an actor, what one cannot deny is he has a deep, smooth voice that you can just listen to. So mm. having him narrate the the opening of the show each episode and its exposition it's telling you the, the yeah. it's telling you what the show is about but that's great mm-hmm. here's what the show is about and Here are these well-written lines that JMS puts in, and you pair these great lines with Michael O'Hare's voice and that music, and it all becomes a concoction that works. I'll be honest, it always took me a while to warm up to the introduction, because I'm used to the TNG thing, right? Where it's like, you know, the classic... And then the music pumps in and it's very triumphant and cheerful and whatever. But here you have Michael O'Hare very quietly but very sultrily telling you that all alone in the night, it can be a dangerous place. You know, and you're like, ooh. I
1: had a different trajectory with it. Mm. I I liked it. Mm. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then you wanted to watch it every single Episode, and I got Uh, really tired of it.
0: I don't skip credits for these shows. Like I was listening to TNG and Voyager. No,
1: for these, you you still don't like it when I skip the TNG one when we're rewatching it, just like for background. You're like, you skipped it. I couldn't believe.
0: I can't believe it. I still can't get past. I mean, yeah, we can skip Enterprise's theme because it fucking sucks. But like,
1: but. You adore this so much and I got tired of it because we would watch like four, five, six episodes in a row Mm -hmm. and every single motherfucking time you wanted it and you would repeat it, like you would say it with him Mm. or echo him like just after. Yeah. And you do this with the other series as well. I
0: especially like the line the 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 line of the dream given form. That's Mm. the way he says it. And I do love All Alone in the Night. Ah, look
1: You love all of it. But that was kind of my journey with it of like when I was watching it on my own, I was like, oh yeah, this is fun. And I liked how I knew that it was reminiscent of the old serials of, Mm -hmm, mm. like, here is the recap
0: yeah yeah and Michael O'Hare has that voice that sounds like a documentarian mm. as well so this really does feel like a historical event that's taking yeah. place it feels like when he says the last of the Babylon stations you're like shit it really is the last what? one because he says it with such conviction in his mm-hmm. voice this is the story of the last of the Babylon stations the year is 2258 the name of the place
1: is Babylon 5.
0: Uh, so was Ivanova and Talia your favourite characters when you first locked in? Were they the, the the ones? Because I've grown up with this, I can't remember. Mine would probably be Londo because he was funny.
1: Uh, the two that I was like, I cannot wait to see more of them. Kosh, 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 kosh. Not Kosh. <laughs> They
0: are alone. They are a dying people. We should let them pass. Who? The Nairn or the Centauri? Yes.
1: So, Avonova was the main character that I latched onto, and the other was Jakar.
0: Because he was such a fuckhead.
1: <laughs> yes, I was just like, he's so dirty, but he's so sexy. Am mm. I finding a lizard sexy? He's
0: a marsupial lizard man, and he's mm-hmm. sexy as fuck. It's the voice, right? Mm. It's the voice. Mm-hmm. It's got, a, and he's got a great facial structure in this makeup. But... And
1: I was so drawn in by the layers of the actor's performance. Mm-hmm. Particularly on this rewatch, I was enjoying noticing all of the little hand gestures.
0: Oh yeah, that, yeah.
1: That he does, like every movement is so reflective of who Jakar is, and it's very intriguing to see that now because mm-hmm. I've I've watched through the series a number of times now. So being very familiar with his arc, there is that sense of performance on performance.
0: Uh, you you know you know what I really noticed upon this watch too that I think I appreciate about 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 Avonover and about Jacquard because we're talking about them and maybe I'm thinking about this highly because we've just come off Discovery, but I appreciated their pauses and moments of silence. Especially from Jakar, there's that moment just where he has a moment of silence and then clicks. And he's just like, you cannot use this council for your own personal vendettas. I love those mm. little touches from the performances. Of
1: Everything what- gets to breathe. Yeah. But at the same time, almost every scene is pulling some kind of double duty.
0: Oh, yes. Avoniva was my character, human-wise, that I was drawn to when I watched it. I loved Avoniva. She and I still do. She's a she's a no nonsense lady who's incredibly funny but she's not playing it as being funny. She just is inherently funny as a character because of how, how straight-laced and uh, hard-nosed she is and just no nonsense and, and her viewpoints on the world against other characters, even Sinclair, who mm-hmm. she's probably the most in line with. Even they have some funny back and forth. And, um, and I like Ivanova, too, because when I, when I watch this episode, is they, they give her enough character enough character within the episode itself so then by the time we get her tragic backstory, mm-hmm. I felt like I feel like it's been earned because I feel like I've already got to know of yes. throughout the episode instead of this telling me who she is you this see feels her like this is defensive
1: just... side and her vulnerable side and her
0: light moods and and mm-hmm. we see a varied spectrum you... of her character before just getting she this she gets to be a person before displaying her backstory for us to then further yeah, so she like her
1: is a character not a tool for emotional manipulation
0: yes uh so, so who is the
1: non Ali- you specifically said that Ivanaver is the human character. Oh, it was Londo. It was Londo. I thought I you might- said that
0: before he was funny.
1: Oh yeah. Just that's Lon- it?
0: When I was a kid, yeah. yeah. And when I watch it now, it's because he's the best character in the fucking show. And yep. that will be a whole discussion every single episode he's in of just reinforcing he's the best character in the show. Uh him and Jakar. It's a toss up. Uh, nah, uh, let's just throw it over let's throw it over to Warren Keffer, the best character of the show too. Uh, right up there with Byron. Maybe um, we should
1: have a Kefidar instead.
0: No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I object.
1: Captain, Zeta Squad just got back. Lieutenant Kefidar is missing. <laughs>
0: We're talking about these characters, but let's dive into the plots of the episode. As it's stated, there is an attack on this agricultural colony, the Nana are involved, the Centauri involved, but there's three Well, there's a lot going on, but primarily there are three stories happening one smaller than the other two, but let's tackle them. There's there's the Talia Winter side of the story, in which her goal is simple. She just wants to talk to Ivanova and get registered on the ship properly. That's all she wants. She just
1: she That's just has, she has she to wants. check it. She's like already appears to be working. It's just she has a to protocol check in. box that needs to be ticked, and then in the process, she's just like,
0: I want to know what she, what. What did I do I do, bro? And 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 her story, although small, it ties in to the other stories in very importantly because she's getting railroaded by Ivanova seemingly because of the other two storylines going on, primarily the Raider storyline going on, and she interacts with Londo at the end as well. I'm in the middle well. of
1: 15 things and all of them very
0: annoying. I personally have never been the biggest fan of Talia Winters as a character, but I do enjoy her in this episode because she is minorly like Lita was—an audience surrogate character. But um, she's interacting with characters that don't want to interact with her and/or want to have sex with her, and. It gives the actress and the character the room to show us who they are when faced with such issues, with faced with problems of being rejected and being (laughs) advanced upon. Um, And mm. and I find that uh, the character really rose to the occasion in this episode. I I, I really liked her in this one.
1: The actress matches this character Mm. better than. Patricia Tolman, yeah. Yeah, as Lita Alexander. It makes more sense to me that Talia feels and acts the way Mm -hmm. that she does. Because, like, Talia is somebody who was taken by the core as an infant and raised in the core. Yeah. And Lita has a line about being like a sixth generation recorded telepath. Like it goes back further, but that was when they started keeping records. And Talia's statement feels like it has more weight and reality to it than the the leader statement does
0: and it comes also from the actresses yeah. because i i think uh, uh Talia has a uh, has much more of a warmth to her and i like And the to...
1: actress is more experienced than Patricia was when She's
0: not afraid to show her emotions because what makes uh, her very fun is she's playing off of Ivanova who's very closed off and or pissed outright pissed off a lot of the time when interacting so you have Talia openly showing how upset she is and confused. And not just through dialogue, but just letting the actress act it out. And she shows us uh, also through the story uh, what it is for other characters on the station to be uh, witnessing the big story events because she doesn't understand- Watching the
1: chaos unfold and unwillingly and unwittingly be-
0: a part, of, part it. of it and and that is such a, a a fun angle to throw into the plot because This is a show where we have ambassadors and lieutenant commanders and all of this stuff. It breaks it up very nicely. Yeah, although she is obviously a person of influence, she's the Psycorps representative on the ship, in this episode she she isn't even allowed to be that fully, so she's got less power than anyone else in this story. So her witnessing and interacting with the big political and intergalactic war side of (laughs) things... By just wanting to to fully it, it like really sign on board the ship was is fun
1: helps add to the scope of mm. the show and the scope of the station of like mm. Talia is just trying to do this little administrative task, and then Sinclair is trying to avoid a uh, military action that will. Mm. Very seriously jeopardize the entire
0: quadrant's state of peace, and Garibaldi just wants to watch Doc Dodgers with somebody yeah and and that's what makes this pilot uh this episode work much better than the pilot again is I could sit here for the next hour and go through every single character and tell you what they were trying to get and or wanted in this episode. Talia Winters has two very important scenes within the episode, or two very important interactions within the within this episode, which is the one with Londo. This mm. is where we are introduced within the episode that a, a, a telepath, when they physically touch someone, especially or if when the thought is so loud, but... In this, it was shown as well of she touched him and it was like the holding of the hand I yeah. really charged things up. We saw that minorly in the uh, in the pilot with Lita having to take her yeah. glove off and do it with Kosh, but here it was a bigger impact. They, they drew attention to it a lot stronger. And
1: the sense of violation of boundaries yes. was much better communicated.
0: And, of course, it helped build up the stakes of the story because now londo has to rush to get what he has to get done because he knows that she's aware of what he's going to do and of course it gives us the stakes of uh well now we know for 100 percent of fact that londo is committed to yeah. wanting to murder jakar we see the flash of mm-hmm. what she sees it's goofy as hell Super goofy. I love oh, Chikar's yeah. reaction of like him throwing his arms up in the air going, ah <laughs> and then he cuts to Londo. You know, the image of Londo and his big hair shooting oh. a gun like a badass is so dissonant, but it's yeah. I love it. But it
1: makes so much sense for Londo.
0: Blood calls out for blood. The other big thing that Talia has in the episode is is the ending in which yes. she talks to Avonova Throughout the whole episode, I do appreciate that uh She not only tries to talk to Ivanova, Ivanova, but she gets to talk to Garibaldi, and Garibaldi gives her like genuine advice of, hey, you know, Ivanova's a bit of a stick in the mud, you can't really talk to her while she's at work, maybe catch her after work, and that's what she does here, she catches Ivanova after work, and Ivanova acknowledges what a pain in the ass she's been for Talia, and we get the backstory, and we get to also find out more about Talia, and uh, this backstory, this this monologue, is such a tonal weird thing to put in the episode, because the episode's been very high energy, very crazy, and then you, then you get like this fucking depressing monologue from a yeah. about her her mother. It works for mm. me because uh, it's one, it's really well written for a start. I, I can't believe. We're at this point now, Rachel, where we've covered Star Trek Discovery so much that I have to go into painstaking details to tell us, tell the, tell the listening people why the writing is bad that I've forgotten to explain in my life what makes writing good <laughs> anymore. Because me just saying, because the writing's good. No. Way. And then I'll just play a clip of her saying things and it'll be like, see how good it is? It's great. But... What about this works or doesn't work for you? Because it is a it is a uh, tonally weird thing to put in. It is a is heavy and it's right at the end.
1: Even though it's a tonal shift, it matches some of the qualities of the scenes that have preceded it, mm-hmm. where there's been the resolution of the writer's story and the Mm. and the London versus Jakar.
0: Dawn of justice, yeah. Dawn of justice. <laughs> this isn't hatred, thing. it's justice.
1: It gives the other side of things, of like, that's mm. this huge issue, and now we're going to focus on a small issue that represents a bigger thing, which is the same thing thing but on a different scale that the Ragesh Three confrontation has because it's an agrarian planet mm. on the edges of Centauri space that was a non colony. Mm. N- like but it's because of what it represents as an aggression mm. and a potential damager to the peace and safety of all of the races that it matters, and Ivanova going through, this is what happened to my mother. Yeah. This doesn't matter to you, and it doesn't matter to the cycle. But it matters to me, and, and like, and you didn't. I'm uh, not gonna let this go.
0: And I don't have a problem with you per se, but I have a problem with what you represent. You represent a fundamental go... flaw in the human society. You represent an evil. And
1: one thing that it doesn't do that I want to give it credit for is it doesn't go for the easy line of it's not you, it's your batch.
0: I also appreciate that Ivanova... Or your uniform. Yeah, Ivanova too. why I think it works is there's this dissonance in your brain that's been put throughout the episode of you going, why is this woman acting like this? Why is Avonova acting like this? You understand the basis of a character type of her being like this stern lady um, who's humorless. But we
1: know that Garibaldi doesn't like telepaths, but he isn't being rude and dismissive in the way that Ivanova is.
0: And we are presented to that Garibaldi doesn't fully understand why Ivanova is doing this. He's making the yeah. excuse of, oh, maybe it's this and maybe it's that. But there's an open hostility from Ivanova, mm-hmm. and that's throughout the episode. And Seething. we, the audience, we, the audience, need to find out what that open hostility is. And since... We see in the other stories in this episode... that it that made us care. We see in the other stories in this episode that this is going to be a show that's going to be grappling with hatred and bigotry and and uh, injustice. Uh, when we do get to this story from Ivanova in which she tells us in painstaking detail and sad detail about what happens if you have... Uh, uh, telepathic abilities in the human society. You have these options and and the ramifications of these options that are laid before you and Talia does not understand it because she was never given the choice and that also ties in a lot with Londo in the episode he feels like he doesn't have a choice a lot of the time a lot of the decisions he makes are decisions because he feels like he has no choice
1: Chakar is pretending like he's choosing.
0: Yeah and Talia Pretending
1: like he doesn't have a choice. Anyway,
0: Talia so. never got a choice. She was put into yep. this system and you get that amazing exchange at the end in which Talia says, like, I don't feel like a victim and Ivanova doesn't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. And when I've watched this show before, Talia is not a character that interests me all that much, but I was pretty compelled by that interaction there like the monologue itself is great but but that back and forth mm-hmm. there because there's a there's a sense of dread over the, the the whole entire thing because Talia is clearly a part of something really disturbed. Just watching it in this episode like like mm. you look at her and you you recognize the obvious Marcus. Nazi Nazi iconography of the mm-hmm. outfit and her hairstyle and the entire look of the cycle and the black gloves and all of that, and she's been a part of this so long. And the rest of the human society and the alien governments just accept that the Psycor is a thing. And we would like to think in our modern society that we wouldn't let the Psycor be a thing and that we wouldn't let people like Talia Winters exist within this system. But Babylon 5 presents that, hey, you know what? we would probably repeat these mistakes and do them again and do it like this and that's also what's unsettling about the fact that we. Talia doesn't even know she's a victim because well that's just a given This the world of Babylon 5 has accepted the Psycor in a lot of ways except for people like Avonova, who have been victims of Psycor themselves have been openly victims while people like Talia are yet to realize that they're a victim what happened back then Is not your fault.
1: But it's part of what you are. And yet you're as much of a victim as my mother. I don't feel like a victim. No. And so far I cannot tell if that is good or bad.
0: The other plot out of the three is the Raiders. Uh, I hate the Raiders in Babylon 5. I do not like them either.
1: Space pirates, Ryan. How can you not like space pirates in your space opera? Like, it's the <laughs> space political opera and you don't want space pirates?
0: I, I think I hate them because there's this weird double thing going on in which they're not in the show at all but also they're in the show too much. Like have they're them be in the show force. more or have nothing of they're
1: them. A force that's conveniently
0: used when they need a threat. And they eventually get rid of them in the yeah. show. It's but just like, oh, faceless threat. Raiders. 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 And it's to me it's a lamer way of showing that um the baggages that we have in our modern day lives and that Earth is still shit is still present because I in space, there would still be our raiders. Right, guys? Raiders? Who who just shoot things because they want to and kill people because, you know, they're raiders. But to give it some credit, they, they do build up the raiders in this episode very nicely, where, like with a lot of issues in the show, weirdly starts out small, and before you know it, it's a really big fucking problem, because they introduce it so offhandedly, like, Ivanova's just like, oh yeah, we got some radar issues, it's just nonchalant, it's just like, nine-to-five work, oh, well, there's been some radar issues over here, uh, Garibaldi, you are gonna investigate that? And and Garibaldi investigates it, and there's some dead bodies, and it feels very, uh, uh procedural, like, very matter-of-fact, yeah, there's some radar problems, but by the end of the episode, the raiders are now presented as this major threat. They have this incredible weaponry, and they tie into the main plot. They do a marvellous job here of introducing this raider plot as just a, a, a little aside, but quickly escalate it, and the tensions keep rising and rising and rising, where eventually you get to a point where Garibaldi says... Well, here's what's going to happen. There's this cargo ship that's actually been for refugees and there's going to be this many innocent people in there that they're going to kill with this amount of time frame to stop them. Bam. Tension set. There you go. Well, at the beginning of the episode, it's just like, eh, hey, we got some radar problems. Eh, you know, whatever. And then by the end as well, you tie it into Londo and Jakar's plot, and it makes the raider problem feel like it was bigger than what it actually is. Do we ever get to meet any of these raiders? No. Do we really care about them? Not really. They're just a bunch of, uh, flying pizza slices in space. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's basically it. The raiders get there before we do. They're dead. Uh-huh. Londo Malari. Do you remember what you thought about him when you first watched the show? Because he's the big character. He's the one that comes in and he's got this energy, he's got this accent, this hair, and they give him this uh, story in this first episode that's very much uh, telling you a lot about him and his worldviews. Do you remember your reaction to Londo?
1: I remember being confused by Londo. Mm. Not- because the characterization wasn't clear, I was like, "This is set on a space station," and the opening monologue over the credits says that it's about this space station,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I was like, "We're getting an alien perspective."
0: Yeah, the first story here is kind of a Londo story. Like,
1: this is about two alien races possibly getting into a war and Earth trying to come in and stop it.
0: Well, Sinclair trying to come in. Earth kind of doesn't give a fucking shit. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, <laughs> Earth is They busy just came out of a like war
0: and they got an election. Years ago. They just came out of a war.
1: They're busy.
0: Thousands so. of civilians are going to die. Yeah, 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 it's not about that, though, Sinclair. It, that it, doesn't matter.
1: It, uh, as... Right, we out a bunch of time it puts the piece of the galaxy in jeopardy, but oh, fuck it, fuck it, um, We just came out of a war we
0: can't afford the resources. we're not
1: gonna we're not gonna take sides we're not gonna
0: we're gonna allow
1: sanctions can't the you, polls' can't are push, happening. can't you push nah. this,
0: can't you push this military nah, strike just, just, till just after wait. the election? Ugh, just so wait. awkward,
1: so I was just like, what the fuck is this <laughs> like Alondo was. A lot. (laughs) And he still is a lot. But I accept Londo. Mm. I did not accept Londo on the first viewing.
0: (laughs) I accepted him on my first viewing, and I still do, because of what makes him work as a character so well is... He is a multifaceted character. We are presented with him being this fun-loving drunkard who is just there to have a good time and he's a bit of a sentimentalist and, you know, he longs for the good old days. But when push comes to shove, he is just as mean, just as dirty, just as, as manipulative and angry as his counterpart, which is Jakar. They are very much the same, you know, they're very much the same kind of person but uh, very different in a lot of ways, too. And we see him, Londo, decay throughout the episode and get fall into anger and hatred himself, and he feels like there's no choices available to him as a person, so he decides that that is the case, and that must mean I have to go with the most violent, the most unhelpful he methods.
1: really becomes like a wild animal backed into a corner.
0: The Londo plot is, it's kind of sad because you have the personal stakes as well as his the stakes of him as a mm. political leader for his people. Of his nephew is on There are this...
1: layers within that as well. So we have that it's his nephew, but we also have that Londo put him on that planet.
0: To, to make sure he's out of the way of all of these kind of crises that are yeah. going on. As well as Londo has this crippling, crippling issue of the great Centauri Republic, the lion of the galaxy, losing its grip. And if they let this agricultural planet... Yeah, Fall is it, just another sign just of the decaying empire.
1: An injustice that he cannot stand.
0: The fact that the Republic would just sit there and do nothing is 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 too much for him to to comprehend because he's already having these. These bouts of, of depression over the fact that this glorious, glorious uh, republic of space that was once the big dogs uh, are slowly fading away. And he's just another example of that. And On top of that, he's his, his nephew being so, there.
1: He's feeling so let down by them even before this mm. with the like, in The Gathering, it sets up that he's offended that he was given the post of Babylon 5. Yeah. And then his diplomatic entourage is one person and it's Veer.
0: Who's an idiot.
1: And he's just so... Silly? S- Veer is so silly, but Lono is so fucking over it
0: <laughs> because we are a race of lunatics and cowards i finally received word from our glorious leaders do you know what that convention of genetic defectives have decided
1: to do about the attack on ragesh 3 hmm
0: oh, probably they're going to the full consideration of the situation the great centauri republic the lion of the galaxy We'll do
1: nothing. And he's just like, I just keep on getting kicked when I'm down. Lando... And that just makes him want to do awful things. And we see him mm. repeat this pattern over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, you see uh, him fall into patterns of mistakes that he says he wouldn't do. He confronts Jakar on the promenade, and Chikar offers him Spoo, it's fresh, and they get into an altercation, and then he talks to Sinclair, and Sinclair's just like, hey, you know, that whole situation, and and Londo says, that was a mistake, not one that I'll make again, but by the end of the episode, He's going to make that mistake again if it wasn't for Garibaldi. He was going to go confront Jakar again. He's a person who's completely self-aware, yet is completely oblivious of his own actions. He's a massive contradiction of a man. For instance, he is apathetic. That is one of his big issues, right? He has grown apathetic and cold. What's that
1: beautiful line that he has about being...
0: About peace, yeah. uh, he has this amazing speech to Sinclair about oh. it. But like he, he's, he's apathetic to being what he is—a politician, mm. to being someone who's an a- ambassador. But he feels completely compelled by this situation mm. on Ragesh Three when nobody else in the Republic is. No, it's this contradiction of a man it who matters thinks- to him.
1: Yes. Because the Empire matters to him, and he's so offended
0: Yeah, that yeah. the
1: Centauri Senate and the government and the Emperor is saying, no, no, this doesn't matter.
0: But what makes him any different? Because he says, and here's the glorious line, On the issue of
1: galactic peace, I am long past innocence and fast-approaching
0: apathy. It's all a game, a paper fantasy of names and borders. That attitude which he has there, what's it, what's the difference between that attitude he has and the same attitude of the people back home? Yeah, he's grown despondent and so have they. But then he grows indignant mm. at them for being where he is at. Or if we, and this is us assuming that the Centauri have the same attitude as Londo does. Maybe they're just being more
1: yeah, but in that saying, level-headed than he is. Like. And in that same scene, Londo gets to the point where he's just like, I will make sure that there is war. Like, he
0: doesn't
1: find the idea of pursuing peace palatable.
0: I want to talk about that line, that line of the galactic peace and mm-hmm. I'm long past innocence you and mean, a fast-approaching apathy, right?
1: Pretty much one of the thesis statements of this entire show.
0: What do you think about that statement yourself? Mm-hmm. And what do you think about how that statement in application to this episode? Because it's one of those lines where when you hear it come from him, you know he believes it.
1: Yeah, he really does, and
0: And if that's, and if he believes it, that means that's an idea the the show itself is putting out there for you whilst also the show itself is presenting that the whole entire mission statement of Babylon 5 is counter to that, Mm -hmm. so
1: Here is what I'm currently thinking Londo believes it and there is a lot of truth in that statement about, like, that definition of politics is fair, but his response is wrong. Yeah. Because we should always pursue peace.
0: Not always, though.
1: Where, like, where possible, it's our last best hope for peace, and if peace fails we will defend ourselves and we will get to the position where we can restore balance, which is part of what makes that kind of Shakespearean qualities of the show
0: come out. that's exactly a great way to sum up the show is peace is a possibility, but when it eventually does fall to the wayside, that doesn't mean we surrender. We still have to fight, fight for what's right.
1: Never give up up in
0: the pursuit of peace never give up never surrender never give up never surrender this is what i take away from from that quote in the application to the episode every pretty much most of the other big players believe in that themselves in some minor way or they have some self-investment in in their own political games except for sinclair Sinclair is the reason why that statement falters at the wayside, because Earth does not give a shit. He
1: focuses on what he can see.
0: Earth does not give a shit about this crisis at all. Earth is apathetic about peace, even though they're the ones that made Babylon 5. The Minbari are there. Delenn voices some concerns, but she doesn't offer anything in return either. The Narn lie through their teeth throughout this whole entire affair, saying that they're not motivated by hatred at all and they don't want to start any war and they don't want to do this, yet that's constantly what they're doing and wanting to say. Jakar is lying from the very beginning, pretending that he doesn't know what this crisis is. Londo is despondent to the whole thing, but then once gears get in motion, he doesn't choose to advocate for peace or he doesn't choose to go another way like Sinclair suggests. He chooses violence and yeah. war and lies. And it's kind of depressing.
1: <laughs> oh, you
0: don't say. It's kind of depressing in a way. It It, it is very depressing. Yeah, Uh, it's (laughs) just
1: flat-out depressing. It's not depressing in a way. It's just
0: depressing, Ryan. Because the Babylon 5 station exists to counter that problem, Mm. but nobody except for Sinclair and Ivanova and Garibaldi are interested in actually pursuing that to the fullest extent that it could be pursued.
1: No, but as the show goes on, you get layers of... As the show goes on, you get all of these other pieces of information and it it starts to really add up for why all of these characters are in this position where they are Mm -hmm. at the start of the series and why they aren't as strongly Mm. in that role of we are fighting for peace, which is really what the station becomes a sign of
0: as much as we love to talk about Londo, we get so many great lines from him we could quote all the fun lines because he has so many fun lines as well as such a quotable
1: episode Uh,
0: like one of my favorite lines that i've applied to my real world context is the classic the council, the council can go to hell and the emergency session can go to hell and you, you too, you can go to hell. I wouldn't want you with a are left out. I love that. There's so many things to talk about with that and we've got Jakar, your favorite. Jakar mm-hmm. is such a great character in this in juxtaposition to the pilot because he has a motivation for everything he's doing. They give us a clear def- definition of what he's about. He isn't just about power. He's got a victimhood complex mm-hmm. and he's angry about it, as does his people. We really feel the weight of his people were invaded by Londo's people. As much as we love Londo and he's like a goofball and all of this stuff, Jakar is so stern and so like upfront about the anger and the animosity that his people have for the Centauri because they oppressed us for a hundred years, and none of you guys did anything about it. Now we are doing something about it. It's wrong. What they're doing is wrong. It is. It is terrible. But it makes him as an antagonistic character have more layers to him than in the pilot, in which he wanted to just team up with people for power, for power's sake. Mm-hmm. Here, it gives him and the Narn as a as a society, as a, as a, as a race. It gives them a, a, a clear motivation for all the things that they do that we can relate to in the real world. Small
1: thing in the scheme of things. But it also helps you really understand why they're called the non-regime.
0: Yeah, this show draws a lot of parallels to real world things. Obviously, we've already mentioned the Nazis with the Corps, but there are so many cultures, so many countries, so many... Uh, groups of people that we could relate to the non with uh, with with their situation of having come out of oppression and now they're in this weird stage of Trying to trying to find where they should be, and they're now focusing it through this hatred and this 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 prism of revenge, and they're building their 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 their, their society through like that. Not
1: like Nazis at all,
0: or not like victims of of, of Nazis or the USSR yeah. or any of those things. I mean, as someone who is Polish, the Polish culture—I'm not going to say it was—it's all, all peace and love after the many occupations from other nations over the years. There's been a lot of turmoil after that. It isn't all lovey-dovey.
1: I will confess that I look forward to the day when we have cleansed the universe of the Centauri and carved their bones into little flutes for Narn children. This is a dream I have. Be careful,
0: Ambassador. Not every dream I've heard lately ends well for you. We talk about that line about the, the apathy that's growing about this idea of peace because... In this universe of Babylon 5, conflict is ever present. These people just had a war. These people had a war. These people used to oppress these people. War is looming here. There's threats of violence here. The raiders are killing people over here. What makes it not super, super fucking depressing, even, even Earth has problems of its own with the Psycorps, is Sinclair. Sinclair is this optimist at it, but he's a realist. He knows the situations, but he's approaching them with this optimistic viewpoint because he genuinely believes in the project that Babylon 5 is offering. He really does believe that he could get through to these ambassadors and make them do the right things, make them come to the right decisions. And if they're not going to do it, he's going to do it. If Earth's not going to do it, he's going to do it in his own way. Way. And that will become a part of his arc is learning how to temper that because you can't play it off the books all the time, Sinclair. But here yeah. it worked out.
1: But that process of him trying to find an alternate route mm. and the lessons that he learns from that, I think, are so important mm. to get Sinclair ready to be able to take that path of essentially very Buddhist-like the middle way Mm. through the culture of the Mimbari.
0: Yeah, and also as a commander, we are looking at him now and he is Mm. ignoring orders and ignoring things for his own benefit. We get that great moment of... uh, I point this out when we are watching it, but there's actually a parallel here between Sinclair and Londo. Both of them are told from their respective governments to let it go. Don't do anything about it. Push it aside. And both of them decide to pretend like they never heard that information and plow through with what they wanted to do. It doesn't work for Londo, but it does work for Sinclair. Sinclair also is somebody who actually listens to people because he listens to jakar and know and remembers oh that's right the naan sell to anyone they're not loyal to anyone and that must mean well maybe the raiders who are getting these new pieces of technology and weaponry have to buy them from somewhere who would they buy from oh the naan and we know that the naan uh, uh tactical, they like to have somebody on board. If we can prove that the Naan are connected to this, maybe I could use that against the Naan in this situation. It's a dirty tactic. Sinclair, we talked about this in the pilot. There's two versions of him that he plays beautifully. He comes across as the Zen Buddhist... Nice guy, diplomatic, I just want to make peace. But then the other side of him is that hardened military guy who's not afraid to be a bad boy and to be dirty and play dirty because we see him get angry and we see him be nice in this. And when the peaceful option doesn't work, because Earth doesn't give a shit, nobody gives a shit. The Centauri don't give a shit the Naan don't give a shit about the mission statement. So Sinclair twigs upon, well, I'm going to try and do it my way. Ivonova, you go in there and pretend like we haven't heard from Earth. I'm going to go out and be a bad boy in my fighter pilot outfit and figure out and, and, and figure out that, they, that the Naan are out there with this technology. And, oh, wouldn't you know it, they also have the information to prove that Londo was correct throughout the episode. And, you know, when when you're watching the episode, Rachel, right, and we're re-watching it, it does feel like Sinclair is banging his head against the wall, doesn't it? Because nobody cares. But there's this release here at the end because he proves through his actions and through his choices that He's banging the head against the wall was actually worth something. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like he was just treading water the whole episode because by the end, there's a payoff there. Again, having to cover Star Trek Discovery for so long, it feels weird to really highlight and praise that there are setups and payoffs to things within episodes and that there's satisfaction there.
1: I really hope that our references is like it's so good to compare to Discovery. It will eventually lessen. There still will be
0: some yum yum. We cannot move forward without talking about the biggest, most important thing of the episode. Duck Dodges. Duck Dodges.
1: We acknowledge Duck No, no,
0: we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. I love watching this episode with people who have never seen the show the first time because they react to Garibaldi being a sex pervert throughout the whole episode. I did that too. I was like, gross, I don't like that. Or they laugh and think it's funny. But when you get the reveal of the Duck Dodgers thing at the end and the reveal of who is lured in to watch Duck Dodgers, I I think nine times out of ten, no, no, I'm going to say ten times out of (laughs) ten, I see the person instantly flip their thought process on Garibaldi and like it. Or think this is weird and I like it. Yes. And he always gets a positive reaction from people. I've never I've never seen somebody look no. at that and be like what the-? like angry by like or upset or like confused. Like they're confused but it's like, oh, okay. Like it's a nice thing because you're thinking the whole time he's a pervert. Which he is. Yeah. Like he's he's, a he's
1: still a pervert that he's not being Perverted in this specific instance.
0: Do you know why they have Duck Dodgers? It's
1: a Warner Brothers property. It's a
0: Warner Brothers property, which this show is a part of, so why not just have it in there? Yeah.
1: yeah. Like, it's got, it's got to be something for this joke to work.
0: It endears us to Garibaldi because yeah. he has an interest that's so bizarre, yet doesn't it match him?
1: Yes. And It is- makes sense.
0: And as it goes along, I'm so glad that they didn't forget oh. this detail because when he, when they
1: gets the ju-
0: he has a giant poster, giant... <laughs> Daffy Duck, and and he loves Daffy Duck. It comes up again and again and again. This could have been a one off gag, yeah, that could never come back into the but show. It
1: builds, it enhances, it enriches.
0: It is a one off gag that could have lived on as a one off gag in the first episode, and you get a little mm-hmm. chuckle and smile. But they but they pay attention to this little detail and they keep bringing it back as something for Garibaldi and it keeps enriching his character. So yeah. every time I see the Daffy Duck poster on his wall, I actually react. Yeah. I react when I see it. I'm like, oh, I remember when him and Delenn <laughs> watched, watched Duck Dodgers together. Mm-hmm. And And Dolan
1: wanting an experience, but Garibaldi is still too busy laughing at this thing that he's watched over and over and And over over again.
0: And she doesn't understand it because she's an alien. She doesn't have a sense. And also she's been the most um, prim proper character that's been presented to us Mm. in the entire episode. Like Every time we've seen her in this one episode, she's very stern and talking about war crimes and you can't do this. So the idea of her... I, what I love too is we never see that conversation in which he no. convinced her but I think about it every day of my <laughs> life I think about it you every day you reflect on
1: that moment more than you reflect on our wedding day
0: I think about what he must have said to her and what she said back see
1: notice how he
0: I didn't acknowledge it because it's true um, and I think about it but I don't need to see that scene. No. Because the lack of seeing that scene makes this funnier because you can imagine up this conversation yeah. in your head of him trying to convince her of it being like a diplomatic thing or a cultural thing.
1: The power of what you don't see.
0: Yeah, yeah, you don't always need to see things, but you still do need to see things. No. Uh isn't that right, Star Trek Discovery? You still need to fucking see things in the show. We but here I love the Dark Dodgers. We have
1: shown, not told.
0: Is there anything you don't like in the episode? We're being very praiseworthy. I was looking through my notes and thinking, this isn't the greatest episode. I'm not going to claim that it is. I don't have any issues with it, though. Uh, I, um, I, It's uh, not
1: perfection.
0: No, but I don't know what I would change about it.
1: Yeah, Everything <laughs> has a purpose. Yeah. And it's so finely
0: tuned. And as I stated at the very top... If it wasn't for those character moments, then yeah, I would have problems because you need more than plot and overall the big ex- themes. The exposition
1: st- is balanced.
0: It's balanced here. It's still a lot. It's still a lot of information.
1: character moments make me care about the exposition that they're delivering too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I care about hearing Ivanova's backstory at the end because the episode has won me over to her by showing me who she is and her viewpoints on the world so that when she tells me that at the end, I understand. I'm like, okay, we've, we've built up to here. I do not like Santiago. I've always thought that a leader should have a strong chin. He has no chin. And his vice president has several. This
1: to me is not a good combination.
0: Actors spotlight, Rachel. We're looking at an actor so minor in the cast, yet so memorable. Because they are the extra source. When we do a rewatch of a show, you always notice the main cast members. You always look at them and go, oh, Andreas Katsoulis is amazing. But for this watching i really think that it is beneficial that we look at a guest appearance someone who's not one of the main cast members look at their performance look at that actor and acknowledge them because your eye eventually wanders to these people these are the people that add life to the show just as much as uh, as sinclair does uh for this one rachel we're looking at somebody who only appeared in this episode and the tv movie And it's upsetting that they only appeared in these two. We're looking at the actor Paul Hampton, Rachel. The Paul Hampton. And he played the iconic character of the senator, Rachel. What did you think of of, of Paul's performance as a senator? He's only in these two things. Slimy. He... He did a good job of being slimy enough, but not too overtly slimy. Like he didn't play it like he was a mustache-twirling evil man who's a xenophobic bigot or anything. He played it at that level of Sinclair. Please, I've got fifteen million other things yeah. on my plate. Clark
1: does that. I don't. Instead, later.
0: I don't care about this crisis. Could you just push it to later? We've got a crisis going on. When he said that line. That, that statement uh, where he glossed over the fact that thousands of people's lives yeah. are at risk. He said it with such a nonchalant energy that was so believable that Uh-oh, you almost, yeah. you as an audience, almost miss the fact that he just brushed over the lives of thousands of people. He just was... Because
1: they are insignificant and,
0: to him. And when you pointed out when we were watching it, he said that statement of... We can't afford it. We've we've just gotten out of a war. You said it's been ten years, and like you are saying that because you need an excuse,
1: not because that is relevant.
0: Yeah, and 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 this senator, he's he's there. He's there only minorly, but he's giving us the 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 warning signs of what Earth's. Earth's attitude is that they've still got this military complex, that they've still got this yeah. this issue with the Minbari war, and that there's this ever growing presence of there nationalism, is
1: a fracture in humanity, and, and a lack of empathy. I really, I really liked um, on this viewing, like when we've previously rewatched it. I haven't really enjoyed that final scene with Sinclair going to bed after watching the election results. Oh I love. But that. on this viewing, it's so important. Yeah. And the little explanation of what their platform was that won them the election.
0: Yeah, the Earth First kind of attitude.
1: Of and it's just like oh my God. They know what they're doing.
0: Yeah, from day one, there's a lot of stuff going on with Earth, but but Paul Hampton, for people, you're thinking, who's this guy? Is he just in these two B5 episodes? Yes, he is. But I remember him very strongly as an actor in uh, David Cronenberg's, I do believe it's his first feature film as the lead actor of uh, the film Shivers which is a wonderful film. I love it very much. I saw it in film class. You and I have not yet watched it together, Rachel, nice. but uh, my co-host of my other podcast, Bartek, it's one of his favourite films we saw at university as mm-hmm. well, and it's a David Cronenberg affair where, of course, it's highly sexual and there's gruesome monsters and it's gross, and this guy has always stuck in my head as the perfect uh perfect white dude protagonist <laughs> because there's this moment here's the pitch of the <laughs> forget movie forget
1: nathan fillion no
0: forget nathan fillion um because he this guy's not funny in it but he is incredibly funny he's not being quippy yeah. the pi- the pitch of shivers is there's these little slug monsters that go in your mouth or whatever and it makes you incredibly horny and it's it's basically a whole allegory for like stds and stis and all that right and aids yes a whole bunch of things and He's, like, such a stern-faced dude in this movie, and he's with the girl, the girl of the movie, and they're about to kiss, and she opens her mouth, and he sees a little slug monster in there, and his instant, immediate reaction is to wind back and punch her in the face and run away. And I love that, and it's always stuck with me. So when I looked up for this, that he's that guy, my immediate respect went up for this, for this episode, because... <laughs> Babylon 5. No, not just
1: for the act, it, for the whole thing.
0: Because Babylon 5 has so many uh cult classic actors and sci-fi legends like Walter Koenig will later appear, but I never, it. I never knew that the lead guy from David Cronenberg's uh, early work of Shivers was in this episode as just a senator guy. It adds an l- extra level of credibility to the project of... Hey, these people know their sci-fi and their cult stuff and all of that, and he, hey, it's the guy from Shivers who punched that lady in the face. And I believe him.
1: And we make love beautifully.
0: (laughs) What would you give Midnight on the Firing Line? Would you give it a yum being bad, of course, or yum yum being good? Yum, yum. Yum, yum. Uh, I give this episode a... A yum, right? Yum. A yum, yum, actually, Rachel.
1: (gasps) What? Yum, yum.
0: What are we going to be talking about next week on Babylon 5, Rachel? On the next Babylon 5.
1: Soul Hunter is episode two. Yes. And here is the DVD brochures.
0: Remember, written by JMS, probably.
1: (laughs) Description. He's feared by all, and no wonder. The collector of souls, Morgan Shepherd, who's slipped aboard, is a renegade who murders beings instead of waiting for them to die.
0: So, everyone, make sure to have watched episode two of season one, Soul Hunter, in the interim, because we will be talking about that, and please come join us for it. Uh, You can follow us on those social medias, you know, the usual...
1: Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. On
0: all the usual places, your Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, it's all in the description of the episode.
1: if you want to hear... Even more discussions from us in an audio format,
0: hit up that Patreon link. Yeah, we are talking about Star Trek movies on there. We're giving our thoughts on other TV shows or or movie properties or video games or podcasts. Hell, we have... Even down in uh, in that Patreon, months and months back, we did a two-parter on our thoughts on Babylon 5 yes. in the days in which we were ignorant and thought we would never cover Babylon 5 because we're just going to cover modern Star Trek and torture ourselves for years on end until we well, eventually no. die. The,
1: the original plan was... Desperate yum yums. Oh yes, of course. Where we're going to be a
0: desperate housewives podcast, maybe. Yeah. Even though people, I, ha- I haven't watched that, maybe if people. So it can't be a rewatch. Uh, podcast. Go on there. We uh, might do a desperate housewives uh, oh, episode Monday. Yeah. Know. To be honest, the only thing I don't like about sex is the scrotum. I
1: mean, obviously it has its practical applications, but I'm just not a fan.
0: Email us, people. Our email is yumyumpod at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of things we've discussed on the show. What you think of this episode of Babylon 5. Is it a better introduction to the show? Who did you love or who did you not like in the show to begin with? What was your general perceptions of it? Was this the first one you saw? When did you see it? All do you
1: agree that Talia looks like she wants to fuck a Bonova? That's a given. In this episode specifically. That's, that's, that's a
0: given. I want validation, Ryan. I'm validating you, and I'm going to give your validation by giving you a five star review and rating on all the podcasts available Thank like you. our listeners should. Like our listeners should. Well, that's it, right? And
1: if they really want to do us a solid,
0: share it. Share it around, get all your friends to come into the party that is yum yum five. No, it's not called Yum Alone Five. I know we're all disappointed. We're still disappointed. We're still miserable about and it. Ryan made a mistake, but we're we're with the mistake now, and we're stuck with yum yum five. I'm not sorry no, about it, but also
1: you no, you 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 backed your horse and if you wanna write us an email about it so Ryan can lit- use his little jingle that he's made for the email segment
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, much
1: appreciated
0: well Rich, that's the end of the episode until next time uh, good eating to you again I think we should end every episode with good eating (laughs) to you it's one of the best lines I've ever heard in my life